So where did we stop? We were at the Yejing, right? Yejing, and then uh, at the concentration. So, how do you find the this this uh, commentary so far? E easy to learn. <laughs> uh, the other day, uh, I had lunch with one of the students. Yeah, so he he commented. He said, like. This Yugachara school has a lot of terms. Yeah, Mingxiang and Duo. Yeah. So he says, wow, very, very xiong. <laughs> yeah. Not so easy. Uh, by the time we, uh, we learn maybe like five or ten terms, then maybe the memory of the first term is a bit hazy. Yeah. So I told him, uh, this Yukachara is most of the teachings can be considered commentary yeah, or under Abhidhamma. Like this is basically the Chinese Mahayana Abhidhamma or Chinese Abhidhamma, if you will. But this is actually not written by Chinese masters, huh? it's actually from India itself. So, one way to learn Abhidhamma is to uh, learn it in a way academically. Yeah. So academically, oh, this is very good because there are a lot of terms for you to write about. Huh. Uh, a lot of things to learn and remember. Then you can write a lot of papers. Yeah. And then you can compare the Abhidhamma from this school, compare with the Sravastivadan school, compare with the uh, Dhammagupta school, or can talk all the different schools, or then you say, okay, according to this lineage, or they, they classify this in this way, the one classified that way, and it shows the divergence of views, and so on and so forth. Wow, you can write paper. Then you can get the master's degree. <laughs> yeah, or maybe even do a PhD on this. Yeah, uh, You can write a paper. Uh, but get, writing papers don't get you enlightened. Yeah. Uh, without even talking about getting enlightened, writing papers don't necessarily help you with your defilements. Yeah. Yeah. So another approach to learning the commentaries is to uh, learn it in terms of our own uh, happiness. Yeah. Our, or our own defilements. Yeah. So as we learn this, then you you use that as a you use the teachings as a as a framework around which you uh, you shape your practices. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, in the earlier chapter, 
uh, where we talk about the, the consciousness itself. Yeah. Uh, then you couple that with our your own practice. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, when we talk about the teachings and the practice, then sometimes uh, it will demand that you must do meditation. Because uh, it's only through meditation that you can observe some of the subtler functionings of the mind uh, and the consciousness. You can still do that with other practices, including doing um, doing chanting, yeah, whether it's sutra or mantra. Uh, but at some point, then you may have to switch to just doing meditation directly. So. Uh, we stop at this page ten eleven. Yeah, on this page, it's talking about the Pietzing Singso. So the the mental concomitance, uh, the state of the mind, basically that arises uh, with respect to different uh, different situations in a way. Yeah, different objects, different situations, uh, then different mental states arise. And we call these uh, mental states mental concomitants uh, because they co-arise with respect to these situations and so on. So <clears throat> we have gone through uh, the first three. Uh, so the first one is desire, which we have gone through. Uh, and that that uh, applies to both uh, wholesome and unwholesome. Yeah, but in this category of this uh, this five here, uh, we there's also a focus on the wholesome part, uh, the wholesome part. Mm. Uh, but the principles apply to both wholesome and unwholesome. Yeah. That with respect to the object. Yeah, which is delightful. Yeah, the, the, the object that is delightful, then uh, <coughs> we would have longing. Yeah, longing and yearning. So, uh, yeah, so this is all the description of how desire is like. Yeah. Only when you, <coughs> when you find it delightful and desirable, then can can this desire serve as uh, as a basis for effort to happen? Yeah. Uh, effort has this desire yeah, as a support as a basis. The other day, uh, last Thursday, yeah, last Thursday in the class, someone asked about someone was sharing about um, the, her, her practice. In the other class, I asked them to share how their practice is like. So one of them shared about Pure Land. <clears throat> yeah. So just to sh show you how what we have learned can can actually be linked to uh, a practice such as Pure Land. So if you consider Pure Land practice, we have the standard uh, three 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 four practice. Yeah. Uh, Sing Yuan Sing, yeah. faith, then vows, and then cultivation. 
so uh, the usual understanding is you must have faith in that the Buddha will come and uh, pull you out. <laughs> yeah. you, you keep reciting the Buddha's name, then that register an account for you. Then uh, when it's time, Buddha and the retinue of uh, Bodhisattvas will come and do a evacuation. <laughs> yeah. You must clock in a certain number of. <laughs> yeah. Then, so from this faith, then uh, you must make a vow to go there. Then after that, you do the practice which is chanting. So I was sharing with them. So if you just look at it at this level, uh, the faith in it. How does that generate a desire? Yeah. So I was sharing with them that in actual fact, the faith is not just faith that Buddha come and evacuate you. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it's, it's faith that there is Buddhahood, the first and foremost. Uh, faith that there is enlightenment, faith that there is Buddhahood, faith that there is value in Buddhahood. That if a person attain Buddhahood, then the person will be able to do a lot of good for others. And first and foremost, be able to teach many sentient beings. Yeah. Those who have conditions, that person who has reached that stage will be capable of teaching, yeah, guiding. Uh, in that, we must have faith. Why? Because we haven't reached that stage. How do we know whether it, it is possible? You may have heard some friends uh, on a rare occasion when people talk about Buddhism, then the people may ask the question, is there really Buddha? Yeah. Or uh, even if there is Buddha, how about now, is there Arahant? And then the next question is, can we do it? Yeah. And some people may ask, but why do you want to attain Arahant? Yeah. So these questions why do you want to attain arhanhood, attain Buddhahood, attain enlightenment? What happens when you attain? Yeah, they are, these questions are rooted in question mark about the value of doing it. Yeah. So people may have doubts about uh, the very existence of the practice, whether there's such a practice that actually works, that results in the fruit. Then have doubts with respect to the fruit. Yeah. Uh, and then have doubts in the in the value of the fruits. Yeah. To attain <coughs> arahanhood or Buddhahood, and then what is the value of it? Have doubts in that. So when we say we should have faith, yeah, that's later on. There's one mental concomitant which is on faith. Yeah. So once you have faith <coughs> that yes, there is Buddhahood and there's value in it. And the value is so supreme, yeah, so supreme. Then you can have desire, yeah. But you must also have faith that you can do it. Then the desire can translate into a vow. If it cannot be done, no, do bother doing a vow, yeah. And so, from the faith, from the faith, then it translates to having desire. Then it translates to making a vow, and then further fueling. The desire further fuel the practice itself. Yeah. 
we should then make sense that oh, the practice is not just about yin fu. That the practice should fulfill the the vow and strengthen the faith, which is that you want to attain Buddhahood to liberate sentient beings. To go to Pure Land, that is actually the root vow. It's not just wanting to go to Pure Land. So, all this starts from having um, heard about it, and then from there, have enough faith such that it brings about um, uh, that you you see that it is something that is so valuable and delightful. And then it becomes a yusolating. Then it becomes a delightful goal. Uh, we say yu guo sen hao yao. For uh, to see that Buddhahood is worthwhile, worthy. Yeah. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. Buddhahood. How about next Wednesday? Anybody able to attain with Arahanthood next Wednesday? <laughs> yeah. So without getting ahead of ourselves, uh, just think about attending a retreat. Yeah. Uh, many people see posters, but not many people may sign up. Yeah, for some retreats, a lot of people sign up also. Yeah, but those who sign up are more than those who don't sign up. Yeah. Why? Because uh, for those who do sign up, it is always because they see some value, possible value in Or they have attended similar retreats before. Then they feel that, yeah, this value, I've experienced it already. Yeah, I want to re-experience it. I want to strengthen it. I want to bring it further. Yeah. So, this is this is a very direct example. So this so far we have been talking about worldly goals, ah oh no sorry, uh, spiritual goals, uh, spiritual goals. But the same principles actually applies to worldly goals also. Yeah. Why is it that we need to ask children the question, "Have you done your homework today?" Yeah. Recently, I asked. Uh, in many classes, do you need to ask your kid, "Have you played today?" You never need to ask this question. They will play. <laughs> yeah, they don't need the mother or the father to remind them. Hey, hey, boy, have you played today? You forgot to play yesterday, you know. <laughs> And last week you only played for forty-five minutes. Not enough, man. Eh? <laughs> yeah, you think about it. From 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 uh, from the, the young children and from our own childhood, we can actually learn this. Yeah. It's because they find delight in the, the toys or the games. So as a result, there's desire. From the desire, there's effort to go and play. Yeah, you can see the whole sequence. Yeah. So the question is, uh, for 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 children to study, how do you kindle that interest? That initial interest is very important. Once you get the engine started, yeah, then the person will be self motivated to go and pursue, yeah, pursue. And as he pursue, he put in more effort, he get more success from studying. Then he will, it becomes a virtuous cycle. 
similarly found Buddhism. Yeah. You need that initial interest. That initial interest maybe sometimes is ah, uh, uh, the poster is very nice. Uh, okay, very very unlikely uh, uh, Or maybe your your good friend uh, who 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 give you a very good impression. Yeah, uh, wants to go for this retreat, attend that Dharma class or that Gongsu. So, uh, because that friend leaves such a good impression, and that friend goes for that, ah, and invite you to go there, then you may become convinced. Oh, let me go and try. But that's just the initial part. After that, then we need to <coughs> have our own delightful experience, then desire to go again and go come. And after that, after learning more, ah, then it becomes uh, uh, the, the, the self-running. Yeah. Self so then if you come back to cultivation, uh, my late ordination teacher, he, he ever cautioned us. He said, um, if, you, if you wish to cultivate on your own, uh, it's safer. If you have reached at least the, the certain level of concentration, yeah, close to first jhana, mm, that's the minimum. What they call wei dao di ding. Yeah. It means uh, in some of the English translation they call it excess concentration or neighborhood concentration. It means it's near to first jhana. Why? Because when you reach that stage, you start to experience some uh, some lightness in your sitting you start to experience some uh, some pleasant experiences as you are doing your sitting you have gone beyond the leg pain back ache you have transcended that part already but then he says uh, if you were to practice on your own uh, it's okay or for monastic to stay on their own is still okay. Why? Because you are self-motivated to want to do more sin. Yeah. And so I recently, yesterday I posted something on the on the SGC chat uh, talking about uh, pertaining to there's this uh, <coughs> weekly meditation that I, uh, or rather daily, yeah, that students, I encourage students to post be it 5 minutes or 10 minutes yeah, or 45 minutes yeah, and uh, this is because for some people uh, whether they see other people meditate they are not motivated to meditate this is the first time second time uh, whether or not they see other people meditate they will meditate second time third time are those who when they see people meditate ah then they feel motivated oh, yeah, I have been stacking I should meditate <laughs> yeah so it's for this third group that we have the uh, meditation checking. Yeah. Uh, for those who have experienced some uh, bliss from sitting, uh, some joy, some uh, results, so to speak, you don't need that external motivation anymore. So that's the desire. I'm just doing a bit of recap. And Senjie. So again, for this one, supreme understanding, uh, there's two, two sides also. It applies to wholesome and unwholesome. Yeah? Both the, the right 
teachings, uh, the right, um, uh, what do you call that? Sen, Xie Jiao, Sen Jiao, or Zhen Jiao. That means <coughs> either the right principles, the right teachings, the right those who are uh, who have uh, the proper uh, uh, attainment, all those that is wrong. Yeah. So either way, under those influences, it can it can lead us to to have uh, a deeper appreciation of things. Uh, so again, this applies to spiritual path, and it applies to our worldly uh, worldly uh, interaction. Uh, maybe initially you are using a Samsung phone. Then your friend is using iPhone. So in this case, there's no zhen or xie. There's no no uh, right or so-called wrong. Yeah. Uh, but just to use this as an example, then maybe your friend uh, repeatedly show you, hey, see, iPhone can do this, iPhone can do that. Then maybe you also show your friend, hey, Samsung, Android can do this, Android can do then at some point, maybe one of you may become sweet, yeah, sway over. Yeah. Uh, and after repeat, repeated exposure, uh, then you have you have a much deeper appreciation. Oh yeah, oh iPhone is like that, like that. Ah, the Samsung phone is like this, like that. And after a while, you may you may switch, and then you become wow, utterly convinced. This is you have a supreme understanding. <laughs> But of course, this kind of supreme understanding with respect to worldly things doesn't help us to become enlightened. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it can sometimes become a problem. Yeah. It can become a problem because uh, <clears throat> when we have, when we just have an opinion about something, if someone have a different opinion, we may okay, sure, you can have a different opinion. But when you have a supreme understanding that is not rooted in wisdom, or you may you may have the kind of like, why don't you agree? You must agree. <laughs> yeah, then you can it can become a source of conflict between people. Yeah, it can become a source of conflict between people. Hmm. So uh, here, that one of the example given is, uh, how do you know? that you have reached supreme understanding, it is that you know it as clearly, as certainly, as this is wood. Wood is wood, yeah, not stone. Yeah. This is wood. This is how clear you are. Recently in some classes, when I touch on meditation, uh, I ask them this question. Like, okay, then observe your breath. So in the sutta it says, uh, because when breathing in, he knows that he is breathing in. When he's breathing out, he knows he's breathing out. When he brings breathe, breathe uh, a long breath, he knows that it's a long breath. When he breathes a short breath, he knows that he breathes a short breath. So in one of the session, after I asked them to just observe that breath for ten seconds. 
And after that, I ask them, uh, how do you know that you're breathing? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, this sounds like a ridiculous question. It's like, of course I'm breathing, right? So one of the students actually said, um, well, I, I know that I'm breathing, yeah, because I should be breathing, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, the truth of the matter is, throughout our whole life, we usually relate to our breath in this way, that we should be breathing. And why? Because we are alive. So we should be breathing. Uh, but in in meditation, when we say uh, know that you are breathing in, know that you are breathing out, it's a bit different from this. Yeah. Because to say that because I'm alive, so I'm breathing, that is uh, inferring that you are breathing. Inferring. Yeah. So I would ask students this to do this exercise, either with their hands or their feet to touch the ground. And then I asked them, that day they were sitting on chairs. So I asked them, can you feel the, the floor? I said, yes. And I said, uh, is the floor, I purposely asked the opposite. I asked, is the floor soft? Then they look at me like, no. Is the floor uh, wet? And one of them, uh, kind of, but maybe it's my feet. <laughs> and I asked, is the floor uh, cold? Say, mm, no, not really, because it's in the uh, around evening, so not cold, actually not hot also. So then I told them, I said, um, how does the floor feel? And the floor, then they said, uh, okay, it feels hard, uh, it's not soft, uh, it's dry, it's not wet, and so on. So how do you know? Again, Stupid question, and how, how, how my feet is on the ground, uh, how I know. <laughs> and it is the same thing as this yeah. that when we observe the breath, uh, we should know it uh, as clearly as when, let's say, now if you put your hand on the carpet, yeah, if you put your hand on the carpet now, you can feel the softness of the carpet yeah, very directly. You can feel that. It's neither cold nor warm. Yeah. It feels just, you know. And uh, if you were to uh, press further down, then you can feel the firmness of the floor below. Yeah. So all this, you know directly. Before you touch, when you look at the carpet, you may have an idea how it would feel like. Yeah, But that's just inference. Yeah. Through sight, you see, that should feel that way. But when you really touch it, ah, then you know. Yeah. So, supreme understanding. <clears throat> um, when we translate as supreme understanding, uh, it is actually uh, not not always about like a theoretical, theoretical or um, like understanding, understanding. But it's about knowing something thoroughly. So, but because the word here, then so we translate as supreme understanding. Yeah. It can be uh, supreme knowledge, yeah. but basically it's a complete knowing 
knowing something so thoroughly, so clearly. So the next one is uh, mindfulness. Today we'll start on, have we finished thing? Have we started on thing? Concentration, have we started? I vaguely remember that we kind of started already. But never mind, we just go through. Huh? So for mindfulness, <coughs> so in uh, the, the I think three, three weeks, no, actually this time around we had a longer break yeah, because of recent day. Yeah, uh, if we had started two weeks ago, then we have one lesson, then immediately break. Uh, so I decided I have just <laughs> one time. <laughs> so mindfulness. Uh, in the last lesson, about four to five weeks ago, uh, four weeks now, should be four weeks, I mentioned about how um, today in the, in the Buddhist circle, we tend to hear about mindfulness in terms of uh, uh, the way it's currently taught awareness, you know, present moment, and so on. Uh, for the most part, it's not wrong. Yeah. But uh, I mentioned about how this mindfulness actually has um, plays a supporting role that can give rise to um, a few things. Yeah. Uh, but nowadays, when we learn about mindfulness, it seems to ignore that from mindfulness, you can give rise to concentration. Yeah. Now, these days, we tend to hear, oh, mindfulness, then it's vipassana meditation. No, and direct wisdom, okay. <laughs> yeah. But if you look at the teachings, then uh, mindfulness serves as a basis for concentration to arise. Yeah. And then from there, that concentration, because of that mindfulness, as the element of wisdom inside, yeah? that awareness, that clarity, that can lead towards uh, wisdom, uh, arising of wisdom. So, Yu Chen Xi Jing, Ling Xing Ming Ji, Wu Wang Wei Xing. So, the nature is that mindfulness, um, when there's mindfulness, then whatever that you have, um, you have. Uh, paying attention to, you are able to recollect in the mind. Yeah. You can repeatedly um, bring it to mind. Yeah, bring it to mind. Yeah. So, uh, in our case, let's say we use breath as an object. Yeah. So, become mindful of the breath. Mindful that you are breathing in, mindful that you are breathing out, and so on. So, as you do that, then that conduces towards the mind being settled, yeah. being settled from moment to moment, um, centered on the breath. Yeah. Then that becomes a precursor to what we call concentration. Yeah. Concentration. Yeah. Mm. So, Neixing Shi Shi, Shi Shi, constantly. Shi Shi, Chenjing Ling, Shoguo de Jing Xiang. Uh, so whatever you have experienced, uh, the breath, you experience the breath, you you are able to um, uh, direct the mind to encompass, uh, or the mind become encompassed by this, 
true mindfulness. True mindfulness. Uh, I may have uh, mentioned about the parable or metaphor of the cow. Yeah? The cow is our wandering mind. Then the rope is mindfulness, and the uh, the pole to, to which the rope is being tied. The, the cow is tied with tied to a rope, uh, and then the rope is tied to the staff. Yeah? Basically, a pole that's fixed to the ground. Yeah, and that whole uh, represents our breath. Yeah. So, using the breath as uh, an object, then mindfulness keep pulling it back, yeah, pulling it back. Yeah, after doing it repeatedly, then after a while, the cow, oh, okay, tired, and sit there. So the Buddha used this as a description. Very powerful uh, imagery. Yeah, and you can imagine how how effective it would be for uh, people back in an agreement society where they literally see this every day. Yeah. So, oh, okay, they can understand. How would we represent this in modern terms? Uh, so, uh, we can say our our handphone, yeah, our handphone as the object, yeah, then the sound as our mindfulness. Then every time there's a sound, then we come, wow, our mind is brought back to the <laughs> phone. <laughs> but unfortunately, unfortunately, in this case, uh, it is the opposite, uh, yeah, because it distracts us from whatever we are doing. And when we are brought to the app, let's say WhatsApp, it's not just one messages. Yeah. One, it's not just one message. It's multiple messages. Yeah. And then, no, 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 as you are reading, well, more messages come in. And then as you are replying, more messages come in. Yeah. So this is the opposite. opposite. Mm. So you come to concentration. Think. Mm. <clears throat> so I mentioned before about how this, uh, this term... Uh, thing in the in the various other texts then they also use the term called Dan Shi yeah Ping Dan Ren Shi so that means from moment to moment uh, to maintain that stability yeah to maintain that stability of the mind yeah from moment to moment yeah. uh, that's to say if if this moment you are on the breath, next moment you are uh, on the senses, uh, then that is not moment to moment uh, having equal stability. Yeah. But now you are settled onto the uh, the breath. Yeah. One moment you are on the breath, the next moment you are still on the breath. The next next moment you are still on the breath. Fourth moment you are still on the breath. So if you can do that, then that is what we typically call concentration. No wonder our our method, you know, the technique, is always doing this, you know, bring it back to the breath. Yeah. So um, some people have asked, can we use other objects? You know, can we use other objects? Yes, we can. Uh, can 
for all intents and purposes, you can actually use any objects. Yeah. You can use any objects. Uh, the trouble is, different objects can trigger different, uh, different what do you call that, reaction from our mind. Yeah. Uh, when we when we observe the breath, uh, it typically do not trigger any uh, strong emotions. Yeah. Uh, the downside of this is because it doesn't trigger strong emotions, we we may become bored. Maybe we may become wrong. But if we can learn to observe it thoroughly, then it doesn't go up and down and it becomes stable and you can anchor it into it. In various teachings, there are different objects that we can use to anchor our mind also, including the four elements Di, Sui, Ho, Feng, Si, Earth, Water, Fire, Wind. And that's about physicality. Yeah, physicality. So like for example, the exercise I mentioned earlier. If you touch this, you can feel the softness, the fluffiness. Then how about if you are in a train? Uh, of course, the pole in the train is not so thin. Uh, so but imagine if this is the train, it might be... Okay, maybe this is not a good example. But this is metal. So let's say, imagine this is not so short, long pole. So you are in a train. So even when you are in a train, you can use this to go and observe the four elements. Yeah. You hold and grip is hard. And the metal pole is usually cold. Yeah. And you just direct yourself to observe hardness, hardness, coldness, coldness. And then um, in terms of the water, is smooth. Yeah. So there's some smoothness there. Uh, can be attributed to the uh, the water element. Yeah. Then uh, it's rigid, so the wind element yeah, is low. So inside the pole, yeah, within the pole, as you grip, you can directly observe the four elements. Yeah. Uh, then, um, if you can do that, and then just Maybe pick one of them. Uh, instead of cycling through all four, just pick one of these attribute. Then you can just use that and just focus. Cold, 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 cold. Or you can focus on hard, 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 hard. So you can use one object, the one quality, one of the four elements of one object and just focus on that. Uh, but you cannot stay in the train and hold on to the pole the whole day. Yeah. Even during your journey, sometimes you have to move. Yeah. So if you are using the four elements as the, the object, then what happens? You may, you may pick one of the elements or you may go through any four of them, yeah, whichever is most prominent. Then when you are waiting for the train, you you feel your foot on your in your shoe on the ground and you feel Hard, 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 or soft, soft, because the cushion in your shoe, okay, soft, soft, soft. Then the train comes, then there's a bit of breeze, then you can feel the breeze, you can note all the different aspects of the wind in terms of the four elements. Then as you go in, then someone bump into you, you observe 
the, the bump in terms of the four elements. Yeah. Then when you go inside and you crawl onto the rail, again observe four elements. Then uh, people come in and shop you and observe for four elements. Uh, then people uh, put their hand into your bag and then take the, your handphone, you observe for four elements. <laughs> If you if you can observe, so so think about it, uh, If you really just totally observe four elements throughout, you'll be in a from a certain point of view, you'll seem oblivious to whatever is happening. You, know? yeah. you will you will seem oblivious of whatever is happening. Yeah. Uh, so then the question will be, if hey, what if someone really do that, then oh, movement movement. <laughs> Wind element, wind element. <laughs> then is that okay? Uh, is that okay? From a certain point of view, that's not okay. Yeah, because then it you will appear to not to be functioning. Yeah. And then there'll be a question, then your things will be stolen. So when you observe the world in terms of four elements, there's no owner there's no possession, no no stolen, not stolen. That's just the four elements. The trouble is, we observe halfway. <laughs> yeah, then there'll be all this problem. Uh, but for a start, you don't have to observe until your things get stolen. Huh? Yeah. Uh, if you can maintain that uh, the in this case, we use the four elements as an example. If you can maintain that for a certain duration, you will find that when you, let's say, after a whole day's work, on and off, you you, you observe. Yeah, you are sitting there. Let's say you are sitting in the office, and then halfway, then uh, you are writing, and as you are writing, then you note ah uh, the pen. Hard, hard, hard. So don't spend the whole day. Ha, 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 ha. Then your boss come over. How's the report? Uh, <laughs> you may not be able to respond also. <laughs> uh, so don't do that. Okay, uh, just on occasion. Yeah, at uh, once in a while when you are not having to have interaction. Then yeah, just observe, observe, observe. Then you will find that uh, when you want to formally sit down your mind can become recollected very quickly. Yeah. And then when you are doing sitting meditation, you you can choose to not observe breath also. You can choose to observe throughout the whole body all the four elements. Yeah. As you sit, then your, your, you can feel the, uh, the contact between your body yeah, and the cushion. Yeah. And then from there, you can feel the hardness of your bone pressing down. Yeah. Uh, you can feel the, the the fabric which is soft. You can feel the air, the movement of the air. You can feel the rigidity of the body. And then even when you are tired, you can feel the the lack of rigidity rigidity in the body. Yeah. You can feel the heat. Yeah. You can feel the uh, movement, so on and so forth. Yeah. You can feel the saliva in the mouth water element, you feel the perspire, and so on and so forth. 
then mind can also lead to concentration. So there are many different objects that you can use. So, Yu Shuo Guan Jing, Ling Xing Zhuan Zhu, Bu San Wei Xing. So mindfulness, before that, mindfulness was uh, whatever you have experienced or come into contact with, uh, to not forget it. Yeah. So concentration is to uh, build on top of that. Yeah. Uh, and then anchor the mind on whatever that you are um, uh, placing as your object of meditation. And then causing the mind not to become uh, distracted. Non-distraction. <clears throat> So, so that is the primary uh, function. That's the nature. That's the nature. And then the function of this is when the mind is suitably uh, anchored, then it can serve as uh, as the basis, as a support for wisdom to arise. Wisdom depends on this. Wisdom depends on this. <coughs> 寄予所观的功德过失，即具非的镜像上，由定令心专注不散，依着定力便能便有抉择自身。所以说，至一为业，啊，这是曰尽分定说的。So, uh, so the first the first line, so guan de gong de guo shi ji ji fei de jing xiang xiang. So, uh, for most people, when we meditate, we just go in directly and go and observe the breath. Uh, but what happens when we try to observe the breath? Number one, just now I mentioned, it's boring. Yeah, so, we only see this part, it's boring. Then what happens when we try to observe it? The mind wander here, wander there. Yeah. Uh, it wanders to things that is more interesting. <laughs> so, um, in some of the uh, lineage and some of the teachings, it actually talks about how you should go and, uh, before that, do a preliminary step, which is go and uh, reflect, go and learn and reflect on uh, the benefits of the breath. If you look at the Anapanasati Sutta, uh, the Buddha lists out the, the qualities uh, that or you observe the breath, you can quieten your body and mind, and so on and so forth. Uh, that if you observe the breath, it can lead to uh, deep concentration up to the first jhana, second jhana, third jhana, and fourth jhana. And by attending all this, you can be freed of uh, the different kinds of uh, defilements and so on and so forth. Yeah. And up to leading to Nirvana. So, uh, <coughs> uh, by by uh, if you can do this as a preliminary, and then uh, as you observe the breath, for example, yeah, then go and observe the feature. And then we, your the mind is uh, we are in the in this uh, the mindset is tuned towards going to observe it. 
and then to observe the features, the different features, different aspects of the breath, for example. Yeah. Then as you do that, then the mind will stop after a while, stop being distracted by other things, yeah. being distracted by other things. Um, So this uh, this thing about putting in effort, uh, <coughs> the mind has momentum. Uh, in in the Yoga Chara school, we call it Tan Liu Sing. It has momentum. So if this moment it is distracted, then the next moment tendency for it to be distracted is higher. Yeah. If you don't put in any effort, you will just be distracted, distracted, distracted. If it's concentrated, then it also have a tendency to be concentrated in the next few moments. Yeah. So the 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 benefit of this is that once you get started, it's easier to easy to maintain. But the difficulty is getting started. Yeah, why? Because uh, in our day to day life, we are not concentrated, uh, not in the way of meditation. When we are not meditating, are we concentrated? Focus? Are we focused? Yes, we are. Yeah. But we are focused uh, in a way that is outside of the framework of the Noble Eightfold Path. So the focus is directed by uh, other factors that may not be purely wholesome, yeah. that may also have taints inside. Yeah. Uh, we may have uh, effort. To be focused, uh, but there may be frustration involved. Yeah. There may be greed involved, uh, unhappiness involved, and so on and so forth. So although we are focused, uh, but it doesn't lead to stability. So, uh, in our uh, that day, someone asked me a question about whether it's okay to observe the breath here or observe the breath here. Yeah, so uh, he, he asked me about what my late uh, teacher has advised. Yeah, he advised that uh, if you use the observation here, if you want, you can bring it down. Yeah. So the question he asked is, why, why not here? Why not here? So, simply put, when we observe our the breath over here, it has a tendency to trigger a physiological state. In Chinese, we call it sangho. <coughs> sangho. Sangho is different from eating a lot of curry then become hitty. Yeah, sangho is an internal thing. Yeah. And the result is, <clears throat> if it persists, then you will have symptoms such as uh, <clears throat> your eyes become dry, your, your throat becomes uh, coarse, and then <clears throat> at the later stage, you may even have ringing in the ear, yeah, and tightness in the forehead, and so on and so forth, all these symptoms. So, uh, is it true that everyone who observes 
in the nose area who have this? No, not everybody. So is it on an individual basis? Yes and no. So what is the condition for this to happen? Um, <clears throat> the the prim primary condition is the person must be energetic in cultivation. The person must be diligent in the cultivation. If a person meditate once a week and only meditate for five minutes, don't have to worry. You can meditate up here, nothing will happen. <laughs> yeah. So this is a problem yeah, that uh, that plagues those who are diligent. Um, but then does it mean that we shouldn't be diligent? It's not. It is that uh, the environment of that diligent person uh, has to be matched with the level of uh, intensity. So for example, for many people, uh, for many people who attend meditation classes, you, it's usually once a week. I know that there are some centers where the meditation class is twice a week, yeah, so that you have a more uh, regular uh, practice. <clears throat> so if it's once a week, if a person is not so diligent, then once a week come in, then sit, and Then maybe after a few weeks, once in a while, hey, quite good today. Uh, then after that, other sessions, oh, pain, pain, pain. So don't have to worry. Yeah. But if a person, let's say, um, tries, tries to, um, let's say, don't reg regularly practice, then suddenly go for, let's say, a one-day retreat. And in that one-day retreat, wow, try very hard. Put in intense effort. Oh, take leave, you know, then uh, maybe three day retreat, five day retreat, or one week retreat. Uh, if it's a one week retreat, sometimes it's uh, also better. The trouble is when the mind is used to being distracted, and then if you want your mind to suddenly settle down in a short time, then what must happen? You can imagine a curve, uh, uh, a graph. Yeah? If, if it's very high, and then your duration, if you allow yourself a long time to settle down, then the gradient is very gentle. Yeah? If you want it to settle down within a short time, then the gradient is very steep. The gradient is basically that amount of effort you must put in. So, the, so what's wrong with putting in more effort? Shouldn't Sufu? Shouldn't you be encouraging us to put in more effort, energetically, repeatedly, constantly? <laughs> That's what the Sayadaw told us. <laughs> the trouble is, physio physiologically, our body cannot take it. When it's, I mean, and, and this is where the individual basis come in. For some people, the, your body is as different. And it's not a gender thing. Uh. It's just a case-by-case case basis. For some people, when they put in intense effort, the body can take it. So no problem. No ringing, no any effect at all. And very quickly, they can attain jhana. But for some people, if they don't put in effort, also can meditate. Put in effort, oh, <laughs> oh, 
then they may feel frightened and they stop meditating. So what's the problem? If you if you if you want to have lesser of this problem, meditate regularly. When you meditate regularly, then the mind becomes settled down gradually. Yeah. Then when you go for a one-day retreat, five-day retreat, ten-day retreat, the mind is really tuned in that way. Then whether you use it, you focus over here or over here, you won't have that problem. Yeah. But in case if you have that problem, then what must you do? You can actually uh, couple it with sitting, with walking, walking with sitting around equal amount of time so that the, the mind don't become too intensely uh, focused in the, this particular area. Otherwise, sometimes for some meditators, you focus, focus, then you, you may start to feel some tingling sensation here or itchiness. And even when you're not meditating, you're talking to people, feel like someone is touching you. <laughs> so in some texts, uh, not, not the suttas, in some of the commentaries or some of the masters, they may even say that, oh, this is a, a sign that your focus is very good. Uh, if you can manage it and it doesn't go the wrong way, that's okay. Yeah, but if not, you, know, you may start to uh, experience all the other symptoms. Uh, so have to think about that. So... Uh, <clears throat> so dependent on this uh, this uh, ability or this power of concentration, yeah. So So then based on this, uh, a kind of wisdom can arise. Yeah. What kind of wisdom? Uh, the discerning wisdom. Yeah. The kind of wisdom that can uh, that can discern the nature of things yeah, with clarity. And that's why the concentration is required. Why is this concentration so crucial for wisdom to arise? And it's basically because the, the opposite of concentration is that the mind is distracted. And when the mind is distracted, something else happens also. When we say that the mind is distracted, it is basically that the mind move from one object to the other, move around, and then the mind also start to um, have thoughts about things, have a lot of discursive thoughts. Yeah. So uh, this process uh, is also called um, the the labeling. Yeah, our mind start to label things, and unfortunately, all this labeling. Um, is is uh, is clouding our ability to see things clearly. Yeah, uh, not not physically see. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. Okay, in the in in a, in the Buddhist lineage, we always say see things as they are. Not just not, not about physically seeing things, uh, but uh, whether it's through the eye, ears, nose, tongue, body, or the mind. Tendency is the moment we come into contact with things, then we start to have form perception, form ideas about things. And often these ideas that we have, you know, the names that we give these ideas, is actually a few steps away from 
reality. More often than not, it's very far away. So, part of the process of <clears throat> achieving concentration, through that process, this habitual tendency of labeling, uh, of this commentary, uh, is also subdued. Subdued, but not eradicated. Uh, not eradicated. And that's why concentration is not ultimate. Yeah. It is also known as a liberation of the mind, but it is not a, uh, it's not complete. Yeah. Because once you exit concentration, uh, in a short period of time, there can still be that residual calmness and, and stability. But beyond that, then the monkey mind starts. Uh, chapter 1 again. <laughs> yeah. So this uh, wisdom... So, 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 this part here, this part here is where the different schools may have a slightly different opinion. Yeah. Uh, in some schools, the object from moment to moment must be the same. So, over here it says, uh, not necessarily so. The key thing is whether you are able to stay on it. The mind is it focused on it. Yeah. Uh, so, um, that's to say, in this case, this this uh, what we are reading is also the subcommentary. This subcommentary is saying that, uh, say for example, your breath, and then you, after that you hear a sound, uh, then you feel the itchiness. So let's just use these three things, okay? So at one moment you are focusing on your breath, then at some point in time you may be uh, the the sound may have caught your attention and while you are listening to sound you are totally focused on the sound also without uh, coming up with with uh, further thoughts about the sound yeah. that means you don't after that hey, who, who, who is he talking about? Uh? what are they talking about? Uh? Ah, yeah, so noisy ah, this part is not that it's just totally just purely hearing hearing sound 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 and in, in, that, in that case according to this can still be considered concentration but typically, this form of concentration is, um, in some of the commentaries, they call this uh, like something like lightning concentration. So it's just a moment. Moment here, moment there, moment here, moment there. Yeah. Uh, typically, when we talk about the jhana, uh, the, we usually talk about uh, uh, consistent, uh, consistent, same object throughout the whole period. Um, in terms of um, in terms of some some teachers, some lineage I have encountered, uh, what do they call it? Uh? Uh, I think they call it objectless uh, vipassana. Yeah. So any any object that 
arise, then they will go and observe. So they train themselves such that um, anyone that is stronger, they will just observe. So they don't choose. They don't choose an object. So that the 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 more common one is you choose an object, you focus on that, and you maintain. So, uh, any of you have experience in this these two techniques? The one that you focus on one that's more common. I think I'm sure all of us have tried that before. So, anyone tried the other one where if you hear a sound, then you just observe. You tried that. So, what's your experience? Cannot sustain for long. For a long time. Ah, okay. Uh, anybody else? Nobody else, huh? Okay. Uh -huh. I was sitting and then the, you know focusing on my breath. Okay. And then I feel very light. Uh -huh. uh, then I feel that I'm floating. Okay. But uh, with a very blissful feeling. Okay. And then I can look at myself sitting. Ah. Uh, okay. Then for a few seconds it comes back. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Mm. And there, there is a first time maybe <laughs> I don't know if it's the last time or not. Uh -huh. yeah. So is this a first Jenna or something? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so uh, what what you have described uh, is not first jhana yet. Yeah, not first jhana. Uh, I, I know what you mean. You sit halfway, then the body feels very light and very subtle, and suddenly you, you can literally in your mind see yourself sitting there. Yeah, uh, it's uh, In, in some of the texts, then they talk, they use the word bliss or rapture or all kinds of words. Huh? But words are just words. I would call it higher. <laughs> yeah, you can feel quite high. Uh, so, um, the, the seeing of yourself sitting uh, is in a way a side effect. Is in a way a side effect. So, some students ask, so is this an out-of-body experience? Uh, the trouble is, all the different descriptions of so-called out-of-body experience is mostly anecdotal. Yeah. And so, uh, a bit hard to pin down whether whenever people say out-of-body experience, are we talking about the same thing? Yeah. But so far in the Buddhist circle, when we talk about meditation, this description that you sit halfway and then at some point, suddenly you see yourself sit. Yeah, this is a, a, a known phenomenon. Yeah, uh, but it's not first jhana yet. Oh, yes, it's not bad. Yeah, uh, I hesitate to say it's something good because uh, if I say that it's good, uh, most people 
I don't know about you, most people will think, oh, I must go and experience this again. Yeah, that's why I highlighted that it's a side effect. So maybe I should I should still give you a, a more proper answer instead of laying it hanging there. This experience of seeing yourself sit, sitting is a result of something good. Yeah. So there's some level of concentration at that point in time. The seeing yourself sitting, that one is not good or bad. It's a side effect. Yeah. And it's not the end goal. It is the side effect of something good, which is a certain amount of concentration. Yeah. Uh, crucial to to relate to the these different different experiences in the right way. Uh, because otherwise you, you know what sometimes what happened to us sometimes after we have this experience uh, oh, every time you see I see this again. <laughs> yes, yes, we try to get it. Uh. Uh, yeah, yes. So, if you were to continue doing your sitting regularly, uh, you may not always see this, you know. Yeah, you may experience uh, a lightness and sometimes very, very, very crisp clarity and maybe even a, a sense of like. It's a, it's a very strange high, la. yeah. It's a very strange high. Uh, the trouble is, initially when we encounter some of this, um, it is uh, the mind can cannot sit on it. The mind cannot stay on it. Yeah. It's just too, too extraordinary. So the mind, in a way, if I can describe it physically, like bounce off. Yeah, so if you can anchor yourself uh, and don't bounce off. Yeah, and just anchor on it, anchor on it. Then after a while, you can immerse in it. Uh, then from there, near to first channel. <laughs> yeah, uh, but this is um, some distance before that. Uh, but it's, so. The again, uh, I repeat, seeing yourself sitting, that one is neither good or bad. It's a side effect, uh, but the cause of it is good uh, because it's, there's some concentration in it. Right? So, uh, yeah. So if you if you if you can sit until the point where you have some experiences, uh, then you will find sitting delightful. Yeah? Then you have desire to sit. <laughs> then you no longer care whether Sifu posts on the chat group uh, sitting 45 minutes or not. You don't care whether people post. When you have time, you will just sit. When you are on a train, you, you feel tired, you also want to sit. Five minutes, also want to sit. You, you go for meeting, you go that early, you also sit. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, initially, it's hard to enter, easy to come out. Yeah. Later on, it's easy to enter, hard to come out. <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, you should not get stuck there. You must go to the next stage. Easy to enter, easy to come out. Mm. Of course, no such thing as hard to go in, hard to come out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, 
the, the once you reach the latent stage, there's a lot actually a lot more training of the mind. So sort of jump ahead of ourselves uh, and also to give some clarity how how is this helpful for our mind to to give rise to wisdom. You see, initially when we want to anchor our mind onto the object, the mind don't even listen to us. It's almost like for some people when they first start to meditate, then they're like, what happened to my mind? <laughs> In the past seems to be listening to me and I am thinking. But now I cannot control my thinking. Then you realize that the mind is also dependent on conditions. Doesn't think to listen to you. Then um, this is what we call uh, immeasurable. Yeah, immeasurable. So the Buddha described our mind like a piece of metal. Yeah. When the mind is distracted, it is immeasurable. Yeah. You cannot shape it. Just try to shape it, break. <laughs> yeah, very rigid. Uh, so if you can train the mind repeatedly until when you want your mind to, to stay here, it stays here. You want it to move to that side, move to that side. Then what, what does it mean? Think about it. If a person can train the mind to this level, no, more, no such thing as depression. Something happened, even if, even if somehow because you have not attained enlightenment, something happened, there's that moment of unhappiness. Uh, sadness and maybe it's very extreme one moment sad the next moment move it away not sad okay not sad <laughs> there's a reason why they use the term depression it was it's like a hole you know the mind go into this state and uh, cannot come out yeah. so um, I haven't done clinical studies on this to see whether we can but there are others who have uh, had different degrees of success uh, and so there are a lot of uh, programs where they say uh, use mindfulness or use meditation to to overcome uh, depression or to overcome uh, our manage our emotions yeah. and this part there, there are two parts what we have been describing is concentration yeah. but there's this other part which is wisdom and it is to First of all, break away from the mindset that emotions is me. Yeah. To have such a strong attachment to how we feel. Yeah, if we, uh, I cannot emphasize enough to tell you that if, if we can teach our young children to relate to the emotions differently, not to deny emotions, you know, but to relate to emotions differently, to not say, oh, my emotions is the most important. Is it important? Yes, it is important. But is it that important? No, not so important. It's very fleeting. To always see that it's fleeting and the mind are always changing. And of course in Buddhism, when we say mind, it's not just the thinking part. It includes the emotions. Yeah. If you can see that, then it's easier for us to say, whether we are meditating or not, train the mind to the point where, yeah, uh, before we are enlightened, sometimes people say something or do something causes you to 
like that, right? Well, in the, in the meantime, before you are enlightened, why should you allow that to fester, yeah, to prolong your suffering? Yeah, occasionally, then, do we want to end it? Yeah, we want. But we can use all these techniques. Learn to shift the mind. In meditation classes, I'll ask them to do this exercise. Like now, you're all sitting up, upright in a comfortable position. I hope. <laughs> now, if I ask you to shift to the side, lean to one side, whichever side you want, lean to one side, yeah, and hold it there. Okay, you hold it there. I go and check. So, yeah, in some meditation classes, I actually do ask them to do this. And the point is, physically, when you are when you are uncomfortable, we would fidget, we would shift. Now, we we know to shift our body so that it's not uncomfortable, but with our mind. We don't want to shift. When we have a certain mindset, you encounter something, and it and the mindset is causing you to become uncomfortable. But somehow we want other people to shift. You know, we want other people to shift. We are not ready to shift our our mind. So why is this the case? We are attached to the mind. We are attached to the way we position our mind. This is my mindset. Why should I change my mindset? Even though the, the mindset yeah, or your way of thinking is causing you suffering. Yeah. If we can just see this, I mean, you, you learn all this for what? If we learn all these things, if we can apply on this, I tell you a lot of your Unhappiness can be removed, you know. The trouble is, when we have a certain mindset and it's causing us discomfort, we don't see that this is a primary condition for us being upset. We only see that that person is disagreeing with me, that's why I'm upset. So we keep wanting other people to change them. We don't see that it's your mind takes two to clap. Huh? You cannot change it, then you change yourself. <laughs> oh, you don't. If you can learn to do this, even if you're not liberated halfway there already, <laughs> at least in your life, hey, your confidence in Buddhism would have increased. And you'll be a happier person. Uh, 
doesn't mean you must change or agree with it. <laughs> so there are a few parts here. One is, thank you for highlighting this, first of all, so that we have a more concrete example. So the person is saying something wrong. Yeah? Then we are saying something right. So if we are right and he's wrong, why should we be angry? So there's something else besides this. So the right, if you are saying something right, this doesn't have to change. But there's something else besides what he say and what you say that is causing unhappiness. What, what do you think it, it is? Something, someone said something wrong. I, I give you all. <laughs> I don't know whether this is my defilement acting. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> uh, but it, it fits with the example la, just for the sake of the example la. so uh, the okay long story short Sifu posted something on Facebook actually every day I have an app that do the posting so it's Dhammapada you know uh, and then someone said someone disagreed with it oh, and then Disagreement is one thing, but the person start to make a lot of accusations, saying that uh, do you, uh, you are acting like you know, but you don't know, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, huh? I'm just quoting the Dharma Father. What is it? <laughs> so in my case, I'm not really, I'm not upset. I'm just like, huh? So let's say, let's imagine someone being upset over this. Yeah. So there is the posting and the Whatever is said, that's correct. Then someone said something that's wrong. Yeah. In this case, he uh, he makes certain claims. So, if what we say and our stand is correct, and what that person is saying is actually false, so I want you to just think about it now. Is there something else within us that is causing us to be upset? Think, think, hold, hold, hold on, uh, think about it. Uh. If you take away that person, okay? If you take away that person and you say something, at that point in time, are we angry? Not angry. Let's say now you take away yourself. Is that angry? I mean, your, your idea. Take away the idea, you're also not angry. You put in that person's idea, are you angry? Why are you angry? Uh, compared to by itself is it wrong ah. Ah, so ah. yeah people always want to have the last say <laughs> yeah so, so th this is exactly more or less what the Buddha advised. Uh, when something wrong is being said, uh, when some, some or usually it is, uh, whether it's right or wrong, if someone says something, we should not be so quick to want to correct it. We should just try to listen whether it's true or false. If it's true, it's true. If it's false, it's false. So, um, all we have to do is 
clarify and highlight what is true and what is false. Yeah. The person may still not accept. I think you want to have a last last word. Yeah, people always like that. So the question is, what are we concerned about? Are we concerned about other people being confused? Or are we what are we concerned about? Uh, so Mm. So we want to present the truth. So the truth is the truth is the truth is the truth. It doesn't change because someone said something. Agree? Uh, so uh, we have the truth is the truth don't need to be protected actually. So what are we trying to do? Maybe let me try. Uh, maybe we want to uh, prevent other people from becoming uh, deluded. Yeah. So if if we want to do that, um, what must we do? Does it mean that we must be upset? Uh, 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 okay. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. So, okay. So then the question is: At what point uh, we need to go back to the point where we become uncomfortable? So let's go back to what the example I was saying. Uh, that sometimes our mind is in a certain state that gives rise to discomfort, and we refuse to move. Yeah. So, is it the the truth that we are saying, and the the, the falsehood that people are saying that just this to itself is enough to trigger us to become upset or is there something else? Uh. Opinion about what? Sorry, sorry. Opinion about what? So, in our opinion, one possible cause for people to get upset is ego. Okay. So, with with, uh, but may not apply to his case. Ah, uh. yeah. There are many reasons why we get upset. Sometimes it's a sense of justice. Yeah. And I cannot tell you enough how many people I've met who um, are upset because of injustice. Yeah. Um, I can. I can sort of relate to that because 
I have a fairly strong sense of uh, I like to think lah, and I have a fairly strong sense of justice as well. And I would say that sometimes because of that, I put myself in precarious situations, <laughs> put myself in harm's way, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but these cases uh, that we have mentioned uh, deserve some treatment as well, but um, may not. Uh, now suddenly I'm thinking may not directly. Uh, relate to or can be applied to what I mentioned where it is because of our viewpoint of uh, a certain attachment to a certain mindset uh, slightly different uh, slightly different uh, so we, we need to use different techniques for different prob problems huh? <laughs> in the case of let's say ego then is to realize that uh, the first First and foremost, the difficult thing to do is to realize that the ego is the one that is causing us to suffer. But that's the toughest to realize. Yeah. Uh, if you don't meditate, don't learn the Dharma, it's very difficult. So, uh, if a person can do the first step, then it may slowly uh, resolve that. But in the case of injustice, um, this is what I, I tried advising someone before. I give, uh, because that person drive a taxi, so I ask him, I, I use his, use what he is, uh, uh, I use something that he can relate to. I ask him how much uh, he earn every day. So he says that he earn an average of 100 or 120 a day. Decent living. So I, so then I ask him like, um, if you continue with the court cases and everything, it will it will be you know uh, a strain on your resources. No, I must have justice. So I ask him, every day out of the hundred dollars, uh, how much do you spend on uh, your family? How much do you spend on food? How much do you spend on yourself? So after dividing the dividing, I think he has about maybe. 20, 50, some, some amount of money. So then I said, but if you were to pursue this justice, uh, you may wipe up all of this, no, including your saving. And he said, I will still do it. <laughs> Unfortunately for his case, he I met him, the first time I met him, the case was like that. Then in between, he he was so impulsive, he, <laughs> yeah. He's older than me. He's, I think he's, he's late 50s. Wow. But I look at him. He's behaving like when I was 20 years old. <laughs> yeah, when I was 20 years old, the captain, I shout, why are you you? I feel that like you're wrong. <laughs> and there's no... Most people in, the, in NS, I just the, 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 just go through. La. Uh, I, I don't know. La. Some maybe also. Yeah. But... So for him, I, I told him, I said, it's fine to go after justice. This may make sense to you, may not make sense. My opinion is, should we seek justice? Yeah, we should. Why not? Uh, if you're in the train and someone grab a handphone and run away, should you just say, oh, me, tofu. 
may you enjoy your handphone. <laughs> we shouldn't do that, right? It, will, it may encourage people to then start robbing from other people. Then at some point, if, if some A rob B and B don't say Amitofo, then hey, why are you so, so petty? People rob you only, ma. Why, why, why are you so upset? <laughs> that is wrong. Uh, that is wrong. So the question is, to pursue this much justice, justice, if we can quantify the benefits of justice, and we say that you measure it and it gives you this much benefit, okay? whether in terms of that emotional satisfaction or a sense of rightness, righteousness, uh, maybe you quantify it. So I, my simple idea is, you must not have to give up more than this much of uh, resources, time and emotion and so on to get back this. If you need to put in that, that much more, injustice is basically you lose so much. So you, you want to get back this much. So the amount of effort you put in cannot be more than that, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, you are basically, this is what we call the sunk cost fallacy, I think, where you already lose, so you want to get back, you know. But sometimes get putting in more and more actually dig the hole deeper. Yeah, and you'll never get anything back next except the memory uh, painful memory. Yeah. Think about it. Any injustice we experience usually initially is just a one off thing. Someone uh, cut brain very rashly. Uh, then after that, maybe uh, scratch your car or what. So that is a one-time thing. If you just fix your car, move move on, that's it. It's at one moment in time. But if after that, uh, in order to sort of have make justice, no, you must say sorry. Do one day what you want for. Then, from that one moment, you have the whole argument there's maybe two hours then the police come or well, then after that you feel so embarrassed because people come then after you go to a police station then it becomes half a day and because of a court case then you spend a few more weeks so yeah maybe in the end the court rule in your favor all rise yeah court in view of the, all these cases find the, the plaintiff uh, guilty of uh, road, rage, road rage and so on and so forth. Yeah, oh, I get satisfaction. Uh, now, in favor of the, what call that, the prosecutor, whatever, uh, you must pay damages of $500 <laughs> or some amount. Okay, you get some money, but that money cannot remove that bad memory. <laughs> you know? It cannot remove all that bad memory. It cannot even remove that first instance of that memory. Maybe it pay you back in terms of fixing your car. And maybe you even re request that the person must make a public apology on the newspaper. Yeah. Then after, what do you do? You, you cut out the newspaper. <laughs> then you laminate it. You put it on the wall. So that for the rest of your life, you're haunted by this bad experience. <laughs> yeah, it's mindless, eh? It's really mindless. So last time, uh, I encountered uh, internet trolling also. So one senior monk 
he, he once told me, he said, uh, no end to this. You just reply on it. If the person perceives, you just leave it for a while, then after that you delete it. Yeah. This is your own website or this is your own page. Why, why, why should you let people come and post stupid things on your page? <laughs> yeah. So I told myself yesterday, okay, uh, that's the last thing I want to say. But to set the record right, this is internet trolling. Yeah, then leave it. Wow, the person went crazy. <laughs> so at some point, I was actually a bit concerned about that person. Whether the person is in the right frame of mind, because when I look at the the his profile, oh, he 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 just posts a lot of accusation. It's not that he just target me. Then maybe maybe I kill his dog or whatever <laughs> in a past life. But he is targeting all the very renowned masters in recent times: Xu Yun Da Shi, Hong Yi Da Shi, Shen Yin Fa Shi. So I was joking yesterday in class that oh, I felt quite. Uh, uh, like honored, you know that uh, I'm actually in the in the target list. Me <laughs> uh, He's lucky. Uh, if it's me, 20, 15 years ago, twenty years ago, I see you. Me too. But sorry, last thing about this. Um, jokes aside, uh, um, in the when we when we learn about compassion, when we learn about the meta bhavana to to radiate meta, radiate karuna, uh, which may all beings be well and happy, may they feel from you. Uh, it's a very powerful practice, but there's an, there's some supporting reflection to do that can actually bring this to a new level, which is whenever you you hear a sound or you read a text or something, uh, try to see the suffering behind that. Uh, if you can see the suffering behind that, you will not you in your mind there's no concern about the person saying something bad towards you. Your concern about it for the person to say it out uh, the mind must be so agitated already. That person is in so much suffering. Yeah. So, uh, so that's one way to overcome it. Oh, one way to overcome it. So back to this. Uh, so, th- so that, that section about having multiple uh, objects. Uh, so, the the uh, in different schools, there's this. This question mark, yeah, whether you can use different objects. Yeah. In the different lineages, the idea or the concept of uh, lightning uh, concentration is also being questioned. Yeah. Those who say that it is possible, actually they quoted this, Parabar Ananda. Parabar Ananda, when he attained enlightenment, he wasn't in deep jhana. Yeah. He was going to rest actually. Yeah. So how could he have done that if you must have a consistent one that must be in deep concentration? Uh, and not just him. If you look at the Kudaka Nikaya, then under Kudaka Nikaya, you look at uh, Theragata, Therigata, uh, the verses, the utterance of the, the, the elders, uh, 
uh, elder nun and monks, you'll find that a lot of them didn't attain enlightenment sitting, you know. There was one, uh, was it a nun? She was going out on arms round, and then she tripped. She tripped and fell. Then just before she land, she attained arahanthood. <laughs> if you ask me, I don't mind falling or <laughs> well, walk around and try to fall. Yeah, but how many can people can do it? Uh, of course, the usual uh, impression we have is oh, sit in meditation because the Buddha did that and many of the Arahants also is described to have done that. Yeah. So those schools or those um, uh, lineages that supports this idea uh, that even momentary concentration is sufficient to be called concentration uh, has this as a basis. So not to dismiss it totally. Then, uh, okay, okay. So this in this text it cites another uh, another uh, reasoning, another rationale. Why is it that uh, different objects of con- can, uh, if the mind is focused on different objects, it is okay to be called concentration as well. So here it's citing, um, this part is a bit uh, technical. Uh, so the moments before enlightenment, uh, the mind actually runs through the four noble truth yeah, in, in sequence. Yeah, and then observe this happening, uh, observe the four noble truth directly. So that being the case, then they are actually different objects. And if it's, these are different objects, then it should still be called concentration, but it's not the deep jhana type of concentration, uh, but this is, should still be called concentration. Uh, this is the basis that is cited here, uh, that um, even if the object is different, it can still be called concentration. Now the question here is, uh, so, for someone to do that, um, it is not like how we are normally. Oh, think about this, think about that. Uh, it is that every moment when the mind is uh, on a certain object, it doesn't have any other, you know, it's purely on that. Yeah. So, uh, only then can it qualify to be called concentration. Yeah, to be called concentration. Um, related to this, related to this is the question of uh, can we have some level of thinking when we are doing meditation yeah, uh, or contemplation? So in some tradition they say no, no thinking, no contemplation, just direct seeing or just bare awareness. Yeah. So <laughs> I tell you, uh, if you ever have a debate or argument with me about Dhamma is not the most pleasant experience. <laughs> there was this Amor monk, I won't say which Amor monk, but you're going, don't guess. La. <laughs> there was one time, it was very funny. Uh, two incidences. The first incident, he told me uh, he was uh, having a chat with me saying that if you look at Buddhist countries, 
we most of the Buddhist countries don't have uh, true democracy. Uh, whereas if you look at all the countries that has democracy, have uh, and, and justice and so on, they are Christian countries. Yeah, he has been a monk for thirty over years. Huh? so at that point, in my mind, I was like, <laughs> but I still listen, I still listen, uh, senior monk. Okay. <laughs> so after hearing, then I think about it. Then I said, but democracy predates um, Christianity. And in Christianity, the, the theology is not of a democracy. Yeah? God, and then we are, we are subservient to God. Yeah, we cannot. We are not equal. No discussion. <laughs> so I said, and that, so this is in terms of theology. Then in terms of his history, um, democracy ha- has its roots in ancient Greece. Yeah, ancient Greece, and that and that predates uh, Christianity. Yeah. So so I disagree, and he said. Then, uh, oh, oh, then he said, oh, touche, touche. <laughs> yeah, touche. So, for this is the first incident. Uh, this is the basis for the second incident, where he said, um, uh, another time there was a, like a public thing, and there was somebody who come and talked to me, and then we got into a bit of a, like, debate. Then the Abomang came over and said, you, you dare to debate him. <laughs> Even Amon Mang also goes to him. <laughs> ah, it was so crazy. And I totally forgot what I wanted to tell you. <laughs> what were you talking about just now? Concentration. Uh, we were talking about this 16... Uh, sorry, let me try to recall. Found out the truth? No. Uh... Ah yes, yes, yes. Thinking, thinking. So, so there was once I went to this um, center, uh, Thai Forest Monastery. So they, uh, like most Theravadan uh, uh, tradition, they advocate that you you don't do contemplation and thinking when you are doing meditation. Yeah, uh, and vipassana is always just direct seeing. So. So I asked one of the Ajahn this question. To, in order to distinguish, to see the impermanence of things, you must have a very, at least a rudimentary comparison of two states. Then can you, can you de- determine impermanence? Then it's a matter of, of intensity. Right? You, you have to admit that that is a form of thinking or at least contemplation. Because you must have some comparison. And then here. <laughs> uh, we didn't come to any conclusion. Yeah, he he was he remained steadfast in his in his lineage that no, no thinking. Um, I walk away from the center with this uh, today I'm not so insistent that no, you are wrong. Must have you cannot say that there's no thinking. Today, I'm more of the opinion that, okay, la, you don't call it thinking, then don't call it thinking. Well, 
as long as you can determine impermanence, I don't care what you call it. Uh. Just like when I went to train in Myanmar under Mahasi tradition, then they say that the initial stage, you just label, noting uh, when you have thinking, you have thinking, 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 thinking. You hear, hearing, 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 hearing. You don't uh, have anything else. But then, uh, and then they say, ours is directly personal. No samatha. But then when you look at the mechanism itself, actually it's samatha. The first part is samatha. Second part then is, is vipassana. But the first part is the, the, the noting and labeling part. That is basically samatha. But when I was in the retreat three months, oh, I was struggling. <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> Why you all keep on giving it all these names? But today I'm also of the, uh, that opinion. Whatever you want to call it, okay. Lah. As long as you are doing that part that have that have this result, I don't care what, what you want to call it. Lah. Yeah. Uh, because you can give it all the correct names, lah, but if you don't do it correctly and don't have produce a correct result, so what if you call it Nirvana? You can say that you attain Nirvana, but if it's not Nirvana, it's not Nirvana. You can call it X. I attain X. What is X? X is end of suffering. Okay then, that's Nirvana. Yeah, so some so related to this is the, uh, the the question of should we use Pali or should we use Sanskrit? Or should we use Chinese for that matter? But Nirvana has no name. Yeah, in fact, Samadhi has no name. There's no name in this world that is inherent in things. Out of convenience, we, we give it names. And then Buddha, out of convenience, so that we can refer to something, give it a name to that, that which has no names. But at the same time, all the names have its own function at the right moment. So you cannot refute that function also. You cannot refute that function. So if, if, if you want to reuse something, yeah, you can. But you must state clearly that you are reusing it. Uh, and all this is also related to this commentary, this school, uh, that words have no meaning. Uh, words have no meaning. No fixed meaning. Meaning can keep on changing. Again on Tuesday, uh, I highlighted about uh, someone asked because in the in the text there was this term sotapati stream enterer. So the person asked, "Why stream enterer?" So oh, stream enterer is basically a description of the first stage of enlightenment, and it's a description of uh, entering the stream that leads to nirvana. Uh, it's a metaphor: a leaf dropping into the the, the river will be carried by the stream all the way down to the ocean. The ocean in this case represents Nirvana. The river represents the Noble Eightfold Path. Yeah. So you notice that sometimes we describe the ocean, the samsara as, as ocean, uh, <laughs> then sometimes the river is described as, uh, as samsara also. Yeah. Or the shore at samsara and then cross over so um, the buddha used all these terms very loosely one you know if the more you learn the dharma you will realize that he really just 
Yeah, very, very free, free flow. You talk to this person just at the moment, whatever terms that can be used, he'll just use it and repurpose it. Yeah. And later on, he can use the same term to mean something different. Yeah. But uh, so from here, we can see that he's not attached to the terms. But yet, each, each incident when he uses a term, uh, it has its own uh, implied and uh, intended meaning. Are you? So the thing that we should remove is our attach, attachment to the, uh, the fixed meaning in all cases. But we cannot throw out the intended meaning. If you throw out even the intended meaning, then it is what we call kong. <laughs> yeah. You are removing all meaning altogether. There is intended meaning. Just don't be attached to it. So, uh, so this is about concentration. Uh, there's a lot more to talk about concentration, really. Uh, this is just, uh, just focusing on the aspect of uh, the nature of it. Yeah? What are the features of concentration? But here it doesn't touch into jhana. Yeah? It doesn't go into describing what is jhana and so on. Not in this section. Not in this section. So next one, uh, discernment of wisdom. Yeah. So uh, here, likewise, with respect to the the object that you are uh, you are seeing or you are observing now, So wisdom or discernment. Wisdom has this nature that it discerns what is happening there. Yeah? It is able to look at it and then mm, able to distinguish, yeah? discern ah, what is happening here. And as a result, it has a certain function. The function is it removes doubt. Because if doubt in what? Uh, in what way at the first place is there doubt? Uh, at the first place, we uh, we have doubt in the Buddha's words <laughs> or the Buddha's description of reality. The Buddha described it in a way that we cannot directly see. So that's why we have doubts. In Buddhism, to have doubt is not a crime. <laughs> of course you have doubt. You are not enlightened, of course you have doubt. It's a more than given. The question is what you do with the doubt. If you just on to the doubt as the truth, then that's a problem. Yeah. Whereas uh, the approach is okay, you have doubt, you have questions, okay, then you must examine uh, how do you verify it in the proper way such that you can truly uh, falsify or verify uh, what the Buddha has said about this world. So, take for example, in another class recently. Someone talk about karma, talk about past life, and talk about how he is uh, not sure. Like, hey, how, how do you verify that there's like whatever happened to us? Is it because of past life? Yeah. So this person has asked about this quite quite vigorously for months, uh, and I think it for my class is for months. Uh, 
on its own maybe for years already, yeah, for a few years. So uh, that day, I listened intently and I asked him, so how do you go and verify? So he said, I think about it and I read and I ask people, why is it like that? But I don't get a good answer. So I said, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to want to ask questions. Um, but you need to use the right method to verify. You cannot just say you ask questions. This to to so-called prove karma. Yeah, it cannot be uh, rationalized. Yeah, you cannot simply just think about it and then yeah, it makes sense. Okay, got it. Cannot. Yeah, there's a specific set of ways for you to verify what happened in the past, yeah, but not through discussion. Not through asking people. I say, if asking people is okay, then now I tell you, yes, it's due to come up. Can you accept it? Then he look at me. I think maybe can still cannot. Now. <laughs> right. You, you notice a lot of people during classes or talks will sometimes ask, uh, variable or bante or surrender or whoever. Uh, so when this happened, is it due to come up? Actually, this question cannot be answered. Yeah. If the bante is Yes, it's due to karma. Will the person be convinced? Maybe on the surface convinced, but deep inside still have questions. But how do you know? What if the variable say, well, I have the su ming tong, I have the ability to see past life. Can show me? Cannot show you. <laughs> so you still have to have faith and just take the word for it. So the only way to remove doubt without using faith is you must verify yourself. And in that case, you must train your mind to be able to see the sequence. And so I explained to him, I'm just using this as an example, where uh, I ask people this question. Um, again, this is a question that I asked during meditation class. Uh, when you meditate, do you have thoughts? Do you have thoughts? Say yes. Yes, of course we have thoughts. When you have the different thoughts, have you ever meditated? And then suddenly, one of the thoughts is, or, or recollection is, yourself brushing your teeth. Do you meditate halfway, then suddenly you recall yourself brushing your teeth? If you do, see me after this. You need professional help. <laughs> I've, I've never encountered anyone who meditate and then halfway through suddenly think about themselves brushing their teeth. But if you think about it, uh, a lot of the random thoughts that come about, sometimes it is something that we do frequently, sometimes it is just something that happened once, you know. But if you think about it, brushing our teeth throughout our whole life is such a frequent occurrence. But until now I have never encountered anybody who meditate and then suddenly, but after this class maybe you will. <laughs> So what does this tell us? Actually, this is about how uh, our memory is very selective. Yeah. Uh, how so? Now, now uh, I ask you, can you remember what you ate last Wednesday morning? Most adults have difficulty remembering. Young kids don't have a problem. I say most, uh, yeah. why? Because most young kids, 
they have their breakfast prepared by their mother or their maid. So usually prepare the same thing. <laughs> so uh, I can remember. But if you ask, if I ask a further question, can you remember precisely how it was like last Wednesday morning when you were having your breakfast? What do you eat first? Unless it's a matter of habit, otherwise most people cannot remember. So then ask people, if you cannot even remember last Wednesday morning breakfast, you want to remember past life. <laughs> yeah. So then the question is, um, why is it that uh, we can remember so much things and sometimes when we meditate, we are beset by so many things that has happened or sometimes haven't even happened, future things we are thinking about. It. And yet, when we try to recall, we cannot recall. And randomly, it doesn't come up. Why? And so, it boils down to how we experience it at the first place. Uh, we tend to remember things that are pleasant or unpleasant. The rest of it, which is neither pleasant nor unpleasant, we are oblivious of it to begin with. So how to remember? <laughs> so you will probably remember the few times if you ever brush your teeth and poke yourself. Yeah, you can remember. But all the rest of your two brushing sessions, you can remember. Because it's neither painful nor pleasant. So, as a result, the imprints, does it mean that you didn't imprint? Yeah, you still imprinted when you are brushing your teeth, but intensity is not so strong. So, in the, in the training of the mind, then we learn to be more equanimous towards all this and try to recollect, to be able to recollect from starting from the present moment. Like when you meditate, right? If your mind is drifting all over the place, you can be so immersed in it, but the moment you stop and you want to recall, cannot recall much. But if you are if you are very clear and you see your your thought process, any time in point point in time when you stop, you can recall the whole sequence. Uh, first, uh, the last thought that came when you hear the bell was this, and then how did this arise because of that, that because of this, this because of that. You can examine the whole sequence. If we can examine this whole sequence, uh, then it points to, uh, then you can, you, you can train your mind to the point where you can trace the whole sequence all the way back to the point where your first awareness arises, first consciousness arises in this world. And then from there you can trace what is the preceding mental uh, that, uh, that activity that triggered this one. This is how it is said to be done. I still haven't done that part. No, not not to that part yet. So don't kind of ask me about past life. I will tell you. I can guess. <laughs> yes. So is there thinking in concentration? Currently in in Buddhist circle, there's two opinions. Oh wait, wait. Let me rephrase myself. Uh, if you say, is that thinking in concentration? Uh, I'm going to... Uh, uh, oh, oh, okay. That kind of thinking, uh, it will stop. Uh, 
uh, once you attain concentration, let's say first jhana or what, uh, that kind of thinking, think here, think there, will stop. Uh, but uh, if you use the word thinking a bit more differently, to to mean that you you focus on something, you pay attention to something, as to but you use the word thinking, uh, then you are thinking about your breath, but not not coming up with ideas about your breath actually, but just paying attention to the breath. So that type exists. So there is still mental activity. Yeah. Because meditation is a mental activity. So it's paying attention to the breath, but not thinking about the breath also. Uh, it's a form of concentration. Yes. It's a form of concentration. Huh? If you reach concentration, then your mind will be free of all the discursive thinking, the discursive thoughts. And your mind, uh, if our, our mind don't suddenly just, or you reach concentration, then it can do everything already. Initially, the mind is free of the discursive thoughts, and then the mind is also free of that longing for sensual, sensual activity. Yeah. Then the mind experience, and here I'm talking about jhana. Then the mind becomes free from all that stimulus. Uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, even if we are not actively engaged in. Um, sensual pleasure, we are being bombarded by a lot of stimulus. So when we go into uh, meditation, we are slowly becoming disconnected. But the word disconnected has a bit of negative connotation, so don't think it that way, okay? Just that you are dislodged from the senses, eyes, nose, tongue, body, the first five senses. And when it's disconnected, dislodged in this way, then uh, the mind may still have longing. But if you keep on doing this, keep on doing this, and then do other contemplation on the thoughts and danger of the sensual pleasure, then at some point, the mind becomes free of longing for the senses and the sensual pleasure. Then the mind is able to be uh, calm, and because of that, uh, being free, being withdrawn from sensual pleasure, the mind would feel a different kind of sense of ease. Yeah. Uh, and then the mind is more inclined towards the object than sensual pleasure. And if it, the mind can persist, yeah, continue, 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 then it becomes even more subtle and you train further, train further, train further. Uh, then just now I mentioned the immalleable versus malleable. Malleable means you can, it's like our. Yeah, you can bend it this way, you will stay this way. You bend, you can bend. Yeah, then you can bend your mind the way you, you will need it to be. Yeah. And at some point, you apply this mind that is very pliant, very malleable, and very clear to go and observe whatever is happening. Observe this body, observe this mind, observe the different feelings as they arise. Everything that arises, you observe, observe. And then you observe 
body as it is, how this body is. You observe how this body, from one moment to the next moment, how it arises. You observe how this body can, can come to an end. You observe. When we say body come to an end, it doesn't mean that you observe until you die. But it's that from moment to moment, we are changing. So the moment this moment has changed, then this body in this state has ceased. This part, um, either you understand or don't understand. <laughs> uh, yeah, because this part, if I explain, it will become a theoretical idea. Likewise, the mind, from moment to moment, is changing. But when you can see that once it has changed, the previous moment of the mind has ceased. You see, observe this again and again. Then you truly observe the arising, the origin, the arising, the ceasing of body, mind, the body, feelings, mind, and mental objects. Then you observe how the, this ceasing, if, if the next moment is not triggered, then it doesn't have that, that constant... And then you experience the Four Noble Truth in terms, you experience the Four Noble Truth within the Five Aggregates. Oh, this one is beyond Jhana already. Jhana is earlier on, uh, what I mentioned earlier. Yeah. But prior to all this, uh, learn to tune your mind. And shift your mind, shift left, shift right. Yeah. In your day-to-day -day life, whatever mindset you have, whatever mindset, opinion, uh, emotions uh, you have that arise, it's okay. You have, you have joy. Don't always just go for joy. Yeah. You have sadness. Observe. Now there's sadness. Learn to observe it as just sadness and then learn to say okay now if I were to just feel the table is there sadness in the table no sadness in the table in that moment there's no more sadness only when you hold on to the sadness then it continues <laughs> but this one you need to try it hard for hard, hard to cannot explain and yeah, you must go and do it. Then you find, oh, okay. Try again. Oh, okay. Yeah. Huh? Emotion. No, it's not emotion in the inanimate object. But in this contact itself, there's no emotion. Yeah. Then, while you observe this, there's no emotions, right? So that means in this moment, there's no more anger, no more sadness. Yeah. So it's only when you latch on to the, the object that triggered, then plus your defilements, then there's sadness, there's anger. So that's the cause of suffering. <laughs> yeah. So uh, if you can even do this, even way before enlightenment, 
you'll find that your emotions are a lot more manageable. Yes. Yes. When you are concentrated, you are oblivious to anything that is outside. Did, did I say this part that you will be oblivious of everything that is outside? But what is your question? Oh, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I think I said roughly like if you observe like uh, the earth, water, fire, wind, earth, water, fire, wind, then even if someone take your wallet, you are you will just observe this is earth, water, fire, wind. You will not have the fear or yeah, you, you will seem oblivious to yeah, I said something like that. So um, maybe I can relate to you what uh, happened to me in my first few weeks of ordination. So the we uh, for for my lineage, my teacher Every day, since day one, every day, we we don't talk about chanting or rituals or anything. He, very directly, when you must apply the teachings, you must apply the teachings. When contemplate on no self, or contemplate on dependent arising. That's right. So, I try. So, I, when I say I try, actually at that point in time, I didn't try. I was just thinking about how it's like if I try. <laughs> so, I asked one senior monk, I told him, I said, I realized that, I, I, I should say I half try, half try to speculate. So I told him, I said, if I really try, then even when I, when people talk to me and I reflect, Yuan Qi Xing Kong, dependent arising, all this is empty in nature. Then I told him, I said, in that case, I cannot reply. And he said, okay, then. But I'm, I'm just, then uh, I'm a novice. Uh, if a senior monk talk to me and I do this, then I'll just stare at them. Then, <laughs> then they may think, oh, no, you're a young monk. You just ordained a few days ago. Why are you so proud? I said, then, then how? Then he said, if that happens, that is also dependent arising and empty. <laughs> so this is how I was trained in my lineage. And everything, if you can apply that throughout, then there's no problem. But in our day-to-day -day life, uh, it's harder for you all. For monastics, we have a luxury of doing this. If we do this, people will not say that, well, maybe people will still say that, but we don't care. <laughs> I really, if, if a person, you, you cannot uh, challenge a person who don't care how he looks and what he wears, you know. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes I ask myself, what am I wearing, you know? This is Tang, Tang Dynasty attire. <laughs> there was one day, I, one ex-colleague brought me to Gardens by the Way. Then there were some, some young girls and young boys in cosplay. Then I walk past, they look at me, I look at them. 
full time cosplayer. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, my teacher's advice, my teacher's advice is, uh, in the initial stage, if you to, to do that, um, yes, there may be this kind of uh, tricky situation. People may think that you are like oblivious, uh, but uh, for a start, for a cultivator, if you really want to see results, it's okay. You have to forego what people think about you. Yeah, you have to forego that. Uh, but if you are in the, if you currently have your social responsibility and so on and so forth, then you may want to just do, you know, do it like strike a balance. Uh. But if you are like you are in a rush, next Wednesday you you must attain enlightenment. Then you should, you don't have to care. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Come, let's put our palms together. Yuan xiao san zhang zu fan nao. Yuan da zhe hui zhen ming liao. Pu yuan zui zhang xi xiao chu. Thank you.